Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 115 of uh, Seat Struck Movie Podcast. I'm here today. Of course, my name is John. I'm here today with my co-host, Curtis. Hello. Uh, me and Curtis, this is a quick reunion. We were hanging out yesterday in the flesh. Yeah, in, the yeah, flesh. in person. <laughs> yeah, Curtis is in town uh, from Germany. He was in, uh, last last you heard from him on our Die Hard episode, he was staying at his uh uh, aunt and uncles in New Hampshire, but all over the finally, continent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Mister Worldwide, as I call you, you're just like Pitbull. But uh, Curtis was uh, was is in Ottawa, and uh, yesterday we uh, we actually met up. That which was pretty fun. We went to uh, went down Bank Street, went to the movies. Yeah, we uh, had an adventure. <laughs> yeah, we went to the secret Mayfair midnight movie. Well, we'll talk we, about. It. I'll spoil we went, it. Uh, we went to a drag show. We went to talk. Uh, Taco place. That was a good night. <laughs> yeah, impromptu drag show. We went to the target, and then I, I was kind of keen on playing some arcade games, and then it was just a huge drag show going on. But it was pretty fun. Um, yeah, we had a bunch of drinks. It was a good time. Had a good Uber driver coming back too. We were talking about. She yeah, was, she's uh, from Kuwait, and she had like a far, Persian Persian background, and she was really cool. She was like, she works part time at like Home Depot, and then also she's like a, a student at uh, Carleton University with my old alma mater. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah yeah so it was a very good time um and i think maybe when we get to what we watched i'll mention the, the movie we watched uh uh briefly as well um we don't have much news today in terms of new releases i think you met you threw up a tv show right uh griselda is yeah Gris griselda is a new tv show it's with the my my huge crush uh sofia vergara but it's kind of interesting it's coming on netflix i think this week and it's oh. about a crime boss in uh, i think she's venezuelan or colombian but um I love Venice. I love Sofia Vergara, and she kind of did the whole, you know, Charlize Theron monster treatment too. You know, she's this absolutely stunning, gorgeous actress, and she kind of like had a lot of latex and stuff, so to make yeah. her look kind of unattractive. So I'm excited to see how it goes. I think it could kind of show her versatility as an actress too, because I think a lot of people are quick to kind of pinpoint her as just this like diva or some bimbo, but I I think she's so much more than that. Um, so I'm excited to watch it. <laughs> Nice, nice. Um, cool. Yeah, I don't really have much else in terms of news, but we could probably talk a little bit about what we watched. I guess, Curtis, I don't think you've watched a whole lot because you've been traveling, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I watched um, the new Godzilla movie. I know uh, John had talked about it, I think, last time, uh, Godzilla Minus One. So I watched it in theaters with my cousins. Uh, so that was kind of fun to do. Uh, yeah. Very entertaining, too. And it kind of recalls, it almost feels like a, a remake of the original in some ways, too. And yeah. uh, I did I did fall asleep a little bit. I, the chairs were so comfy. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I had those chairs, too. I was at Landmark Cinema. There was these big sofa chairs. You can oh, just fall asleep so if you're not careful. Yeah, well, We went to the wrong movie theater, and then I got I missed the first five minutes because <laughs> I was a bit tipsy. And then I, I looked, I, I had the wrong movie theater but like, thankfully the other one was only 20 minutes away so we made it like five minutes late and my cousin didn't really like it that much i thought it was entertaining i like a lot of the old godzilla movies and this is kind of interesting it was great to see so many people in the theater you know especially for a international film because this one is um unlike you know the godzilla movie with uh, brian cranston this is a japanese uh, film release yeah, too, it's a Toho production of, yeah yeah like the first original movie kind of explores explores the the post-war years and we have kind of you know Godzilla emerging from the depths and being able to regenerate and stuff. And, you know, there's just going to be sequels. But, um, yeah, it was kind of an interesting take on it, too. And I think, uh, you know, I, I I said, you know, previously, I had some issues with the nationalism in the film. Um, but thinking about it again, too, I mean, I think it, it does kind of explore kind of Japanese, uh, the Jap Japanese humiliation at the defeat of... Uh, uh, in World War Two, too, so that's kind of interesting, and Godzilla kind of emerges as this kind of monstrous uh, reminder, maybe, of of their failings and a chance for yeah. them to kind of redeem themselves. Which a is fairly recent trauma too of the war, because yeah. uh, 
This is taking place during, I think, the 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 the, the immediate post-war years of like 1945 yes. to 1947. So yeah. we literally see like Tokyo is like parts of Tokyo are literally like it's almost like the the slums of Brazil. Like, it's just, like it's, Hiroshima, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The houses are destroyed and burned up in the fire bombings, yeah. and they're still rebuilding. And it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. You don't really usually see that angle, like the original Godzilla in 1954 is like a good decade removed from the events of world war ii so there's a sense of kind of the world's already kind of moved on and everyone's kind of mm. living their lives and this is like pretty pretty immediate to the war itself which i thought was kind of an interesting uh, uh i think yeah I, th I think it's interesting how it explores that too and i think it's probably like the it felt like the deepest and most narrative rich of the godzilla films too and i have to say i do like the schlocky kind of 80s 70s godzilla movies too um but um yeah, I mean, there's some incredible scenes in it. There's that one scene where the battleships are, are coming towards oh, Godzilla, yeah. <laughs> and you can hear the theme song playing, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and that was kind of fun to watch. But I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. It, was, it wasn't it was quite what I expected, but I, I did enjoy it. But I think you know, maybe I'm more of a fan of the cheesy Godzilla movies. But I mean, yeah, it's it's fun to watch on the big screen. So definitely uh, check it out if, if it's a playing to... I think my cousin wasn't, didn't, wasn't into it, but that's okay. <laughs> more for us. <laughs> what did you watch this week? Yeah, I watched uh, watched a few films. Uh, the first one uh, is a documentary. It's called uh, Tantura. Um, it's sort of, I would kind of broadly describe it as sort of like an, an Israel analog to the act of killing. Um, the documentary explores uh, a, an alleged massacre which occurred um, uh, to Palestinian civilians during the 1948, the Arab-Israel War, uh, which is referred to by Israelites as the War of Independence and by Palestinians as the Nakba, the catastrophe. Um, and this kind of mostly focuses on interviews with a gentleman named Teddy Katz, who is a, a scholar in Israel who um, who wanted to kind of investigate this, this 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 incident that there had been kind of whispers and rumors about. And so he interviewed many soldiers and, and actually there's hours of recordings they saved on tape. Um, but when it came time to publish this paper, um, both both the kind of academic establishment and the government of Israel um, had no interest in it. And as a result, it actually kind of killed his academic career. So we, we kind of see him now. He's much older and he kind of is, you know, he's kind of lamenting about how this ruined his career, but he has all of this firsthand uh, tape uh, audio recording. And, and the film actually interviews a bunch of old veterans of the war. Um, and it's, it's a bit frustrating because a lot of these interviews, we see the old veterans who kind of range from like flat out denying what had happened to just sort of like, well, something kind of happened. It, it, it's very similar to Active Killing. Well, actually, I think Active Killing is even different because that's where everyone just kind of deadpan admits to horrific murders. And this one, you see these guys can like pinpoint accuracy, remember stuff from like 1945. But you ask them about this specific incident in 1948, and they're like, oh, I don't know. It was like so long ago. A little ago. gray. It's a little hazy. It's like the yeah, Armenian it, genocide. It's like, well, you know, like... It was, you know, us or them. Like, no, you you killed them. You know? Yeah, and I think what was really, like, disturbing was, like, after this, I was reading about more of the incidents that had happened, including some massacres that had happened, um, like, in the, in the 1980s that um, similarly have never really been given the proper spotlight or, or due. And, I mean, even ignoring, like, we, we watched this in the context of the current, like, a war between Hamas and Israel, and, and even ignoring current events, like, it was kind of really shocking watching this as a speaking as a Canadian because you know here in Canada back in 2020 when the the big public revelation of mass graves happened at the residential schools, um, there was a real big public outcry to to exhume these sites and kind of find the truth and uh, 
And I'd even say that like the kind of every child matters movement is pretty popular in Canada, kind of across social and political lines. Like whether you're like liberal or conservative, there's pretty much like everyone's on this side of, of sort of the, the, the culture. Um, but by contrast in this movie, we see like how just even the, 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 the possible willingness to kind of investigate even, even acknowledging what happened. It's yeah. is taboo and man there's a really there's a scene with a professor i think his name's like you you have gelber and like it's such a it's a bit minor, minor spoiler but we find out a supposed mass grave might had might, might be under a current parking lot at this now beach town and uh they bring it up to this one of the talking heads in the film and he just simply is like it would be a waste of money like why would we do that it's such a waste oh. of resources he's like why are we going to do something Dead because children. a few idiots <laughs> that otherwise and i just thought like the way that he just called the idea that people whether they were involved in this incident or not would want to investigate as idiots. I just thought it was just really well gross. look at it if you look at uh, Theodore Katz too, I was just reading and his the original mark for his thesis, which which was ninety seven percent at at Haifa University. And then, yeah. you know, he had these external examiners and they gave him a, like a a fail almost a fail which with it basically. So just to show this whole, you know, societies and denial of it is quite sick in the head you know to be honest it yeah and they were kind of something of them, yeah. it reminds me of some other kind of uh you know problematic society too <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was very shocking and i don't think the film is quite as cinematic as something like the oppenheimer film uh, the act of killing but i still think it was a really important watch and like i was just thinking my takeaway was you know how can a nation heal and move towards reconciliation without owning up mm -hmm to its past mistakes. And, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to even happen now with what's going on currently in the conflict, but I think going yeah, forward, it's, it's a lot like the Armenian genocide too. Like they yeah. just don't even talk about it, you know, which is yeah, it does nothing problem. to actually reconcile. At least, at least Canada is, is, you know, starting to reconcile, which I think is a step in the right yeah. direction. I mean, you still have a lot to do, but at least it is starting to be recognized. But I've been, I've talked to people in Germany where they're like, why didn't you do anything about the residential schools? And I was like, what, what was I supposed to do? Like go back in time and blow them up? Like, I don't know. Yeah. You're like, it's not, I didn't do anything. Not massacre. Like, yeah. you're, like, I'm, you're like, I'm outraged about it, but I I, I wasn't involved. Yeah. Like in this case, people, there's people in this movie who were involved that are like, ah, uh, like it was a long time ago. Like they don't have, yeah, I don't, I don't remember really, that yet. <laughs> it was really shocking. Uh, I missed, I could not believe it. And this isn't, this isn't from like the, the 19, 1910, or like, this isn't from like the, uh, the uh, Sir John A. McDonald years. This is from 1948. This is like my dad's lifetime. So I thought it was just yeah. really disturbing. Um, But uh, another film I watched uh, as well, completely different movie, another documentary. Uh, This was the 2000, a film Dark Days, which is a 60 millimeter shot black and white documentary um, about the um, homeless civilians in New York City that live in the subway tunnels. I believe a lot of this is shot um, near the west side, I think Upper West Side, I believe, uh, where the big uh, kind of north-south train tunnels. Um, if you take any of the lines that go up north of Penn Station, they go through these big, big tunnel complexes. When you're riding in them as a passenger, you can kind of look out and kind of see like, wow, there's like a big network of just like empty kind of spots because it's just like they all all the lines are traveling together um but in this case we actually see what's happening and and kind of in the shredded darkness um these uh homeless people had built like basically homes for themselves and like little residencies and we see them we even see them it's kind of funny the first guy interviewed um he lives in like an absolute pit like there's just garbage everywhere but he's so happy and he's like why would i He's like, I got a TV, I got free electricity, I don't got to pay the bills, and he's just, he seems so happy, and like, it was, it's such an interesting movie to watch, because I, there's another movie I watched on, on the Criterion channel called uh, Streetwise, which is a film um, about a, a group of, of young kids in, in urban Seattle in like 1982, and it's about 
kind of like these kids, some of them are like prostitutes, drug addicts, and they're kind of the lower, the lower classes of society, a little bit of like a slice of life moment. And uh, that film is good, but it had, because it was actually shot by a, um, a life magazine photographer who did a, a piece on it. And then they expanded it out because she, she was so interested in the people she, she'd interviewed. She made a movie out of it with her husband. Uh, but in this film, it, it feels like it, it's so intimate. Like I was talking to you about this yesterday. Like mm. you're, you're, you're getting interviews with these people like in their dwellings and it's, it just feels so like personal. And we see like all the different kind of emotional states. Like these are people that are homeless, that are in distress. Many of them, I think almost everyone interviewed is a, is a, is, is, a, is addicted to crack cocaine. Um, but we see like different types of personalities, people who um, when they're, when they're talked to, when they have the kind of moments of vulnerability, like express, you know, what they're really feeling and the kind of regrets they have about their life. Um, there's a woman in this who really has a moment where she breaks down because we find out her kids that were killed uh, when she was in prison for drugs. Her kids died in a fire and like she kind of just drops that like a bomb on you. And it's just so heartbreaking. Uh, and the fact that it's also shot like black and white, it feels so like it just this mm. movie like came out of the earth. Like everything is so obfuscated and kind of cloudy. And it's just there's some real texture to this film that I I thought was just so interesting and fascinating and it ends on actually kind of like a hopeful note which was really really cool um where uh, i don't want to spoil it but like um the, some of the residences were able to kind of get out and, and kind of find their own dwelling, it sounds so. like as we said yesterday too it sounds very humanizing too like they're not called the the mole people or anything to these are no no feelings and There's... emotions and even if they're like drug addicts it shows like that they're still human at the end of the day and he and then it shows that even that people who have made mistakes can be kind of human you can have a kind of a humanistic they, they, they can find like a, they can find a community to yeah community. there's a there's a like there's a guy interviewed i can't remember his name but he he like went to prison and like he, he has an estranged relationship with his daughter and like he's someone that if you had heard about him from like a different point of view or just from reporting you would think like this guy sucks or he's a piece of shit but like actually and you, you hear him talk and he's like a kind of a complicated individual who has like a lot of kind of feelings about his life and you know if he had had done things differently and um and some of the people are interviewed are very resourceful like they one guy's like he has this kind of the shopping cart that he takes with him and he sells stuff and wears and they go through garbage and and, and it was so funny because i think him and another guy were interviewed and he's like yeah i'm, I'm on the clock today i'm working he's like uh saturday sundays i take the days off um, it's just like ah, even when you're homeless, you still have like a fucking nine to five schedule. Um, yeah, I that was so interesting. Um, yeah, what a, what a movie! I was really impressed by it. Uh, one of my favorites that I've watched this late year. I know Quinn's, and, uh, Quinn's a big fan of that one. I think too, isn't he? Yeah, I think yeah, he mentioned it before, and uh, yeah, and I I would love to because I think the DVD has the kind of where are they now um feature and i was trying to look at look for it on youtube and i couldn't find it so i might have to buy this movie just to just for that feature because i really want to know what happened i had the same feelings with streetwise where it's like you see all these kids a little slice of life moment in history and you're kind of like wow 30 40 years later i hope they're okay like what happened and i kind of had that yeah feeling this movie too um because it while it does end hopeful you do know that these are people that are homeless who have been through cycles of getting out of homelessness going back into homelessness dealing with drugs yeah um, you kind but of I feel bad too. If, a lot of these people on drugs, like they cannot, um, like ever you know, they, escape. Yeah, yeah, they can't escape, and also this can be really difficult to live with them too, depending on, you know, the the level of addiction and everything too. Yeah, and that's the thing is like you see like these people are so they're resourceful, but they're also like like in their homes, like some of them have like 
fridges and like they've got setups where it's relatively clean so they're not getting like some of them have rats but some of them the rats aren't that bad so like they can actually cook and make food and like they're like little chefs like preparing their own like house dishes and stuff and one guy's making cornbread and like it was just so funny to see like people in in without without having like an actual home having the resources and the know and the where know withal to kind of create these homes by proxy and it was so um it was so cool um so that movie was great. The last one uh, that I'd watched, although I guess maybe I'll mention the the one we watched, The Secret uh, Cinema too. But um, I've been watching my Duke Mitchell. There's a bunch of Duke Mitchell. Well, the only two movies he directed are on Arrow Video. If you don't know who Duke Mitchell is, Duke Mitchell is a famous crooner, uh, occasional actor. Um, between with him and Sammy Petrillo, they created this um, troupe. Uh, they were kind of like a Dean Martin. Uh, Jerry Lewis ripoff with Duke Mitchell being the Dean Martin, Sammy Petrillo being the the Jerry Lewis. They got a lot of boosting because um, they actually had built like relationships with uh, like D like Dean Martin and also Jerry Lewis. So they were kind of like a ripoff crew. And they were famously in the movie Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla, where they played kind of their comedic uh, roles again, kind of like a Martin uh, Lewis ripoff. Um, but they eventually split off, and and Duke Mitchell became famous as the as the king of Palm Springs as this kind of well-known crooner who owned a club in Palm Springs and actually had relationships with like Dean Martin and some of the kind of figures of, of that era. Um, but he was also um, a kind of um, um, uh, a, a supposed auteur and he wanted to make movies. And so in 19, I think 1974, he he directed, wrote, this is kind of like a, a Stallone bit. Like he wrote it, started it, directed it, this film called Massacre Mafia Style. Uh, which was inspired by him seeing The Godfather and being like, this film doesn't speak uh, to the Italian Americans. You know, we need a movie for ourselves about what it's really like, you know, because he was someone who like played in clubs. He was like a lot. He was like a, a lounge lizard. He just he, he knew all these types of people. And he wanted to make a movie that was true to the kind of men and kind of criminals he saw in his clubs. And so uh, this movie. I think I just muted myself there. Uh, <laughs> it's it's well known for its intro because uh, if you've seen the the trailer of this movie, it's just like it looks like a like an office warehouse like from Dunder Mifflin from The Office, and it's these two guys that are dressed up like uh, kind of like Jules and Vern, like the the two guys in the the Pulp Fiction, um, walking around and they're just shooting people indiscriminately, and it's uh, this music plays in the background, and um, the movie is kind of like imagine if like Christopher Moltisanti from The Sopranos, if him and The Sopranos crew had actually been in the seventies and made a movie. This is kind of like the movie they'd make. Like it has that vibe. It's very sleazy, very exploitative. Um, it, it has these weird swings because it'll swing from like sex and smut and like cheap gun, gun fire <laughs> and squibs to like really earnest monologues about the plight of like Italian Americans. And it, there's a scene where like they're having a dinner party and Duke Mitchell's talking about his mom or I think the, the friend's mom. And he's like, look what this mom, mom, mother's been through. She's come here to the new world and and talks about how kind of Italian mothers struggling to raise their kids under the kind of cloud of like the, the Amuerta and the mafia. And I was like actually getting emotional watching this scene. I'm like, this is a really like, beautiful moment in the movie. And then it like swings to that to like exploitation. And it's just, it's a really weird tonal fucking shift in this movie because it is very beautifully shot creative it has a lot of earnest moments and then it just has a lot of kind of sloppiness. It's a really odd um, picture and fuck, it's really racist too. I mean, it, it has that kind of Italian American Sopranos racism 
but it's still there and it's pretty like hard to watch at times i, I just started watching the second movie gone with the pope and there's a really fucking racist <laughs> and i'm like i'm like well, halfway through it i'm like man this movie's really fucking racist so uh, your mileage <laughs> may vary is what i have to say about it but uh, it's a really interesting artifact and i can kind of see why people really are into kind of the duke mitchell um there's a on, on the arrow video on, on on the streaming site where you can watch this movie there's a preview that was taken i guess from the dvd and it's like an introduction to duke mitchell and it's by this guy who has like the who created the duke mitchell film school and like he's like dressed up like him and he's got like his little like cigar and his like glass of wine and he's like talking about how he how he discovered duke mitchell and talking about him and um you know there's a community of people who really like him in these films so good on them but uh i thought it was just really funny um it's kind of funny how he, it's kind of funny how he just like stars himself in all of his movies too i, I know, know I it's so funny, funny. <laughs> kind of yeah really and he's always and he's basically <laughs> playing the same guy like it's so funny like and, and in gone same, with the pope, same, which, same racist he just plays himself <laughs> yeah and he's yeah and then gone with the pope he's playing like a guy who just got out of prison and he like the first scene of that movie is him meeting kind of meeting up with his his former wife who moved on and met a different man who recently died and this is kind of an emotional scene where he's like talking about, you know, I didn't care because I was so happy that you were loved by this man. He treated you so well and he loved you. And that's what made that's what was good to me. And I, I thought that was like really like mature and emotional. And I'm like, wow, what a great guy. And then like a scene later, he's like, let's go bang some broads. And they're like at Vegas, like hit, like ha ha hooking up at prostitutes. I'm like, wow, <laughs> my, respect, my respect for him as a man. Just fucking plummeted to quote the yeah. Sopranos. Doesn't respect uh, women. Doesn't respect blacks. <laughs> He's in the way. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so take it as what you will. Um, I guess I can mention real real quick. Uh, we watched. Uh, we went to the Minna, the cinema Saturday night cinema yesterday at the Mayfair. I know they don't like usually people talking about it, but you know we don't. We have a very small audience, so I think it's fair. We we watched a, a little known Italian movie called The Spider Labyrinth. The Spiders Labyrinth, um, which is kind. Of, it's an odd film. It's kind of has like a giallo vibe, but it's. It's almost more of like a drama, like kind of has a bit of like a kind of an English horror or even like a Lovecraftian kind of vibe where this um, this like reporter guy or he's uh, he's uh, investigating this kind of strange phenomena um, and like the it involves these people who kind of get like infected with this like spider curse or something. It's very, mm -hmm. very, very slow um, and not, not a whole lot happens in it. There's like even like the 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 the, the gore scenes and all that were there's yeah, a kind of it's kind of like the, the end, but a cheapo cheapo giallo like they they kind of skipped over those bits a little bit yeah and, and like the when it, they previewed it he was describing it as like warning and sleazy i'm like oh man we're gonna get we're gonna some action and like nothing really happens there's like one sex scene but it's pretty uh, yeah it's a pretty wait, like, movie you have to wait one hour for that <laughs> i think you had fallen asleep and i like yeah, you, and you woke, and, you woke and me up when the sexy started you're like ah yeah, oh, about time <laughs> I, I, I was like wow she's so interested and then like you have to wait like an hour for that to happen i'm like that that doesn't seem like the case in italy or hungary or wherever they are <laughs> i just love the i was telling you i love the italian adr uh stuff because they always Italian films, even the good ones, they always dub in like the kind of lines the English uh, um, gets yeah, dubbed like, in after. I'm, I'm from Dallas, and I ha he has like those Italian designer frames and that hairy Italian chest, and I'm like, he's not from Dallas. He's like, I'm from <laughs> Dallas. She's like, so what? You're from Dallas, and so it has like the heavy Italian like. ADR I'm from accent. Budapest. Yeah, no, you're not. You're from Italy. <laughs> Let's go out. You can come to my hotel after. I'm like, okay, and it just <laughs> it doesn't great. even sound. They're like outside talking to each other, and it sounds like she was talking in a fucking closet. Like it doesn't <laughs> sound at all like you're outside. Uh it's it's great. I did um, I did yeah, have fun the, with the. There's some fun like at the end with that some of the SFX. Like it, it's not great. But oh the, yeah, like, the, the demon, spider demon baby, baby thing. Quado, yeah. Quado thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah with the head ripping off it was kind of going like i wish there was more of that stuff it took so yeah, long yeah i wanted the, the whole ending. movie to be like that maybe they didn't have the budget for that but i mean they had the deep budget yeah, for that true. demon woman thing and even yeah there was that one scene where they kill that poor maid and I, the, the poor housekeeper and i was like well like what is yeah, this like sucks. yeah yeah she, like a night yeah there's like blankets everywhere i was like what are they trying to show me here oh yeah blankets it was like you couldn't see yeah. what was going on yeah it was just blankets yeah. everywhere yeah it felt very like some of the parts felt derivative. Like that kind of felt a bit derivative of like stuff I've seen in like Argento movies and stuff. It felt like they yeah. were just cobbling together um, a lot of the masters' works and just sort of, you know. But again, it was it was a it was interesting because it was like kind of tame and slow. It had more of like a like you. It's almost like the same story as something you'd watch like a like an Alan Quartermass movie or something. Like it has that kind of vibe. It's very British mm. kind of feeling, even though it has that kind of Italian style. But uh, nice to see the kind of confluence of styles there i guess but yeah the movie wasn't anything particularly great um sometimes the midnight movies are you see watch them that's like really gory or wild and sometimes you watch something it's more like an oddity although it was like a 4k restoration quite good i would say yeah like it was very it was the movie looked great like the the original film print that it was done off of it was it was very it was really it was really good there wasn't a lot of like there's a little bit of like artifacts and stuff that came up but it was uh it looks it looked beautiful um mm. so i guess we can get to uh our selection today, we're talking, it's the 15th iteration of the Ridley Scott Watch series. Our topic today is the film A Good Year. Uh, what's Boza the good year about? Boza mode. <laughs> it's about um, Russell Crowe as Max Skinner, who's this, I guess, um, he's like investment. Really rich business guy. Yeah, he's like, uh, he's like Ax, he's like uh, Axel, Axelrod from Billions. He's like a, a venture capitalist guy. He's like sell, and then dramatically everyone's like sell. Like oh, this is not how like I don't think stocks work, but um, he's just like staring at like monitors all day and being a a total fucking creep to women. He's like grabbing women in the bar. And, he, like, he's just he's just an overall asshole. Like the scene like where he goes by those bikers and just gives them the finger. I'm like wow, what a what a what a jewel here. You know Maximus to this. Like come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess his name is Maximus, so it's basically playing Maximus again. I like to think that you know he's a man out of time. Um, slipped out of the Roman yeah. Empire. And it's a gla- a... This is Nick Cave's gladiator too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So so we follow uh, Russell Crowe. We find out that his uncle Henry died, and so Max has to go has to leave New York City and go to this like old this like beautiful vineyard in in France, where we also see seen seen these little snippets, these little flashback scenes of him as a young boy, played by. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Freddie Highmore. I am a surgeon. I just that meme just cracks me up. Uh, Freddie Highmore plays the young version of him, and his dad, uh, his well, sorry, his uncle is uh, played by Albert Finney. And we see these scenes of like him with his uncle. They're really beautiful, kind of fun little scenes. There's the first one is the uncle kind of introducing wine to him. Um, this is a very kind of typical movie. This came in like the the mid aughts. You had like Under the Tuscan Sun, and then you had this movie, which mm. is almost like a fucking ripoff. And you had all of these like, and I, I think probably the most the, the best of these was like Sideways. These movies yeah. that are all about like well, middle aged men learning about wine and love. Yeah, and we said that about last night too. We think Ridley Scott had like a midlife crisis because he was spending time in Provence. He's like, oh, I'd like to film a movie here, and he probably enjoyed working with Russell Crowe. I mean, why wouldn't you? And he's yeah. like, oh, let's just get him in this movie that. <laughs> isn't remotely connected like, to who he let's, is. Let's get him an Oscar. It kind of feels like he's like, because he's playing a different, much different character. This was like yeah. right after Russell Crowe. Like, I think the only people nowadays realize, but Russell Crowe won an Oscar for Gladiator. And I think he won it for- A Beautiful um, Mind too, right? A Beautiful Mind, yeah. So he was like literally like a top five actor. He would have been considered like A++ list. 
Um, so this was like almost him at the height of his powers. And it kind of feels like really was doing a Russell Crowe a favor. Like, I'm going to make this movie. It's Oscar bait. You're going to get nominated. Like, it kind of has that vibe. It yeah, he went to like lunch. A... He went to lunch with him in Provence. He's like, come on, I'll, I'll, I'll fly you out tomorrow. We can do a movie uh, the next day. <laughs> yeah, I really met some French woman and, and had a midlife crisis. <laughs> and that's became the text of this movie. Um, yeah. And so uh, Max goes to France. Um, and the idea intention is he's like probably going to sell the vineyard. Um, but he's kind of introduced to old people of his past. Um, he meets uh, like uh, Ludwig and uh, and Francis, uh, the people who used to like take care of the the grapes, the grape yard. And also like he meets like the, his uncle's partner. Um, and they have this weird fucking like relationship where he's like kind of attracted to his like uncle's partner. She's like, kind of flirty with him. And it's very odd. I don't know if it's like a European thing where you, you're just, you, you, this is your relationship with your like basically your stepmom. I don't know. Um, or maybe uh Really, Scott was watching too many weird things on the internet, but uh, I don't know. It's just uh, the movie really changes color palettes too. We get we go from the like cold blue, almost like Tony Scott vibe, like New York, <laughs> to like beautiful yellow vineyard. I was expecting to like the like I don't know, like, like old country music to kick in. <laughs> and um, Max also meets uh, um, Marion Cotillard's character Fanny Chanel, who's uh, a local waitress, and he kind of. He strikes up a relationship with him, and that's sort of the part of the movie. But uh, another weird part is that he has a cousin who shows up, uh, uh, Christy Roberts, who's an American. And we find out that she was actually, or it's never actually, I don't even think it's really confirmed, but she's uh, the supposed uh, child of Uncle Henry, that he had a, he was kind of like a lecherous guy. Well, we, we find out he had like love children and stuff like that. And um, totally, it feels so weird too because it, it markets itself as a romance comedy. But when I started watching, I'm like, this this isn't really funny or romantic, you know. So I was like, yeah, what's, I, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was going to be more like a drama or, or something. Yeah. It, it it's kind of interesting because I I think you can see some similarities to other Ridley Scott works. Like when 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 uh, Abby Cornish shows up, uh, when, when Christie shows up, she's she's almost like a like a little bit of like because she's younger than Max. It's almost like it reminded me a little bit of like Matchstick Men, like when his daughter shows up and it had kind of that vibe. And I was like, oh, maybe it's going to be him and his relationship with his cousin, um, which right away they throw out the bucket because he's kind of like, wow, my cousin's hot. And then like the rest <laughs> of the movie is like it, it's a romance between him and Marion Cotillard's character. But there's kind of this like little bit of plot with him and his cousin where he's kind of like, oh, is she going to like she she's here now. That means like she has a claim to the vineyard and there's a little bit of that, but the, the film doesn't really do much a whole lot with it. And then furthermore, he has these kind of like weird feelings for her. He's like, wow, she's beautiful. And like even like at the end of the movie, when she's like now taking over the vineyard and like running out with that old French guy, the French guy's like, oh, she has a nice ass. I'm like, what? the This movie has some of the worst like um feminist politics of any, any fucking really Scott movie yeah. uh, a filmmaker that we usually associate with like really good Strong female women. characters yeah he made fucking Thelma and louise like a beautiful he made the like, apple commercial picture. where it, like smashes the patriarchy literally you know and he does this yeah and in this movie um russell crowe is a total fucking creep he's like grabbing women's asses he the camera's even kind of like voyeuristic like it's always like positioned on women very kind of sexually i thought it was a really like lecherous movie and i was like really disappointed that even like really scott made this because it doesn't feel at all from a character perspective like yeah it doesn't feel as genuine from, it from is an movie. adaptation it was based on a book i believe um which i have no fucking familiarity with but uh um yeah it was based it was loosely i think based off the book i think it was by peter mail who's a british author um i don't i don't know what the the kind of main book's about but um yeah i i, I had a hard time really kind of getting into this movie i thought it was just like um a total fucking total mess it was way too um 
it was it was oddly like it had a bunch of like comedy beats like some of that lecture stuff was like all framed as like comedy it didn't really work for me like the scene where he's like above the empty like pool and he falls in and it's like full of like manure and he's like all covered in shit and then you know he's like slipping around and i think you're supposed to be like laughing and i was just kind of like this is kind of boring i would the comedy yeah beats didn't work for me i think you know he doesn't really he's one director that i find like i know i appreciate he was trying to diversify but like i think he's better suited to like action and epic films you know i don't think comedy works as well for him or maybe he has like a very peculiar style of comedy that i just don't really find funny but <laughs> sometimes british audiences too like they or european audiences too like when you watch like a british comedy show they laugh at like every little thing like it's it's really easy to make british people laugh and maybe it's just a different market but i don't know it just didn't work for me Yeah, I, it's it's interesting because like I, I don't think really Scott's escaping the like journeyman director label with this movie because I think some of the criticisms you see about Ridley is that he's sort of like a glorified journeyman. Like he kind of does a lot of stuff like this, like adaptations. And I mean, he did the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. He's he's no stranger to kind of just doing like the type of shit like Ron Howard would, would do or like something Prometheus like, yeah. Yeah, but but he does have his pet projects, like something like Blade Runner, um, Thelma and Louise. Like he has these projects that he invests a lot of time in. Um, you know, you had Gladiator and then Kingdom of Heaven, two big epic movies and a lot of his post, um
That's what I don't know saying. his personal life very well, but I would say really, Scott, nothing wrong with, you know, taking a long cruise, booking a vacation, finding a sweet love of your life. And you don't have to make a movie about it. You can just do that. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I have literally nothing else to say about this movie. I, I yeah. fucking just, I detested I this film. I thought it was a disaster. I thought it was probably far and away the worst Ridley Scott film I've watched. It was worse than yeah. Black Hawk Down, which while Black Hawk Down was <laughs> aggressively racist, had like the kind of de- doom and gloom war final act that I liked a lot. And this movie had nothing going for it. I watched the whole thing through. It was so funny because I was watching this on TV and just steaming. I was so mad. I was like, I fucking hate this movie. And then you texted me and I saw my phone light up and it was you saying, I'm watching a good life and it sucks. Ah, ha, ha. And I was just like <laughs> laughing because I'm like, I am too. And it does suck. Yeah, I was, I was parting it online and it was just, oh, I had to come back to it like two or three times because I just, it was painful to get through. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, as yeah, soon I guess as I my... saw Bozo Russell Crowe, I was like, yeah, I'm just not feeling this. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's kind of funny because this came right before uh, American Gangster, which was like a much more kind of better acclaimed film. Although another film yeah. that I think is kind of, American Gangster was really big in like 2010. Yeah, I don't like hear now about it's anymore. Away. Yeah, but it was a really kind of well-regarded film. Uh, so that that was one that came right. I don't. After I don't really thing. remember anything about American Gangster. So I'm kind of keen to revisit it. So yeah, and that was a movie that Oscar Wise did a lot better. This movie did not. Again, this has the vibe of like the type of film that like some you'll find some British guy made when he was like 70, like un, you know, kind of like. Uh, really scott but usually these are guys with like no filmographies and they're just making something it's just like a uh a, an excuse to go to like europe and party and also to get yeah. someone an oscar nom uh but th- it's coming from really really scott and it's a shame so uh we can go to her ratings i gave this a 0. 0.5 out of 5 I fucking <laughs> did not like this movie i thought it was fucking terrible i <laughs> what saved it nothing... from the, the the abyss what well i from... i I my, I would never give something a zero. I think that's just corny. So this is my <laughs> my de facto lowest score possible. Um, I I, just, I found this movie detestable, visually kind of ugly. I hated the color palettes. I didn't like the characters. Um, I think I think nothing I about give, it was good. I think I would give August Underground Mortem a zero because I just didn't like anything oh, about that movie, that's even fair, yeah. not even the special effects. That's just a vile movie. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I think I I was very similar. I gave it one point five out of five. Um, I think I did like a lot of the cinematography, but even then, you know, there's films that he's done so much better with in every regard and just wasn't funny. It didn't work for me. I, I didn't like Russell Crowe in this movie or any of the connection. I didn't connect with anyone. Um, yeah. And I just, yeah, I just, I think just the whole elitism of, of the, the business guy kind of turned me off the kind of posh lifestyle. I just felt a, really, a bit repulsive. So I, I didn't like this movie at all. So it's probably my least favorite Ridley Scott movie I've seen so far. Yeah. I, I saw so some total... people could. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, some people have compared this movie to, like, Someone to Watch Over Me, but I think Someone to Watch Over Me has a better visual style. I yeah. think the characters are a bit more realistic and believable. Like, I really like Lorraine Bracco's role in that movie. Yeah, as the wife they've, got that cool, they've got that cool steam, at least, you know, at least it has steam. <laughs> yeah, like, there's, there's like, kind of, like, a grittiness to that movie that I like. It has, like, kind of, like, an old, like, uh, like noir kind of feel. And this movie, there's nothing to it. There's just, it's just mindless, so... Yeah. yeah. Overall, we uh we we ended at a, at a one out of five. So, you know, if this is golf rules. This is a really good score, but it's not. So, um, would <laughs> we recommend a good year? No, it is on hard, Disney hard Plus no. though. So, you know, you can watch it on Disney Plus. That's that's kind of weird. But maybe, um, maybe what stick to Gladiator or Kingdom of Heaven or something else? Yeah. Yeah, or skip ahead to like uh, American Gangster Prometheus or the the, Mar- the Martian. Films. Yeah. Yeah, or the Martian. Yeah. The, the good thing is though is we're 
we're working our way through our yeah, Ruby films. We're I, finally I actually, getting towards the late later the, the more I really I love I love Prometheus. So I'm actually really excited to talk about it. I know a lot of people hate that movie, but I love Prometheus. I'm really excited to talk about it. So it'll be fun when we get to it. Yeah, so uh, up next for the Ridley Scott series, we'll be doing uh, American Gangster, uh, which is starring Denzel Washington, uh, about uh, him playing Frank Lucas, the drug runner, and kind of uh, has like more of like a like a Scorsese, Tony Scott kind of feel. Maybe it's Tony because it has a Denzel in it. But um, I remember that was a movie that we were just we were just saying a moment ago. Like that movie was so critically acclaimed when it came out. It felt like that was like a top movie of the year. I remember people love that movie and it's kind of fallen away from public consciousness. You know, people mm. still talk about like Goodfellas and all the great classic movies, but no one talks about American gangster. It kind of is, it's kind of fallen to the wayside. So uh, it'll be fun to revisit that one. Um, we'll also have our, you know, per some more personal Canon episodes coming. Um, I have a Canon pick that I want to do. And I think I want to do my first uh, version, my first iteration of the actors who directed movies uh, series that I kind of, um, mm. I alluded to many moons ago. I was thinking we could start off with the ultimate kind of one-hit wonder actor who made a movie, which is Charles Lawton, who is a well-known actor who only directed one movie, and that movie was Night of the Hunter, uh, which is regarded as like well, one of the best movie, of all yeah. time. You know, he was really a one-and-done guy. He's like, I'll make this one movie, and he fucking made like one of the all-time classics and never directed another movie. So um, that would be, I think, the first one we should do because it's like the kind of prime example and yeah. then we can get into like the shit that Jack Nicholson made and like all those other. <laughs> yeah, I think even Sean, uh... Sean, Penn Sean Penn stuff is kind of fun. The Indian I, Runner. I think Sean Penn's kind of an edge case because I think Sean Penn is like a legitimate director, and he's also made a movie that we already profiled before. So I I don't know yeah. if I'd. I'm kind of thinking of like you know like Jack Nicholson the director, like actors who never yeah. directed shit. Maybe the maybe like times De they Dennis, made Dennis Dennis Hopper would be kind of fun. To yeah, look that at would too. be a good one. Yeah. And I think uh, did um, did Kurt Russell direct one? Because I was listening to the I was just I yesterday maybe, listening yeah. to the uh, the uh, I was on YouTube listening to the thing uh, commentary, and he mentions about there was the one of the scenes. He's like, I, I was always wondered, John, like how you shot that, like how you would shoot that as a director, and I wondered if he had actually directed because he was kind of looking at it from a director's point of view. Could, um, I guess we do we could do Cassavetes too, but I don't know. I guess he's kind of an auteur. He's more a he's a director. Yeah. I would even almost call him more a director yeah. than an actor. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, there's some options. I think uh, I'll have to look into it. There's there's some more current ones that kind of come to mind. I guess we could do Patrick Wilson. He did Insidious yeah. uh, three or four. Uh, oh, that's, that's right, yeah, kind of four. But maybe give it a decade, and he'll be an actual auteur. Who knows? Maybe that's his new calling. <laughs> uh, like I would almost say Bradley Cooper was in that spot, and now he's like a director now because he's like Maestro just came out and he did uh, was it Star Wars more, and he's kind of done like legitimate films now. Or so. like you know, would be good too. Um, someone I really love is um um. Bryce Dallas Howard, she's doing a lot of directing recently, really good stuff. Oh, for, like, the Mandalorian. Oh. Yeah, she's oh. been doing Mandalorian and stuff. Yeah, she's great. I love oh, I cool. another huge celebrity crush, but I mean she's and a Nepo baby because she's Ron Howard's kid, right? So yeah, another, another great Nepo baby. <laughs> great <Yeah>. Nepo baby. <laughs> so uh we got that stuff coming up. We'll we'll got some more stuff coming up in the in the new year. Uh more canons to stop. Quinn's Quinn's picks coming up. I think my next one yeah. be on the Grizzlies, which is a Canadian film. So uh, we'll see. I don't know if I, I was able to get a hold of NLM, the actress for it, but you know, we'll still have fun with it, I think. So, yeah, and I think I will do another Simon one once he's settled. He he recently moved, so he's been pretty busy, but uh, yeah, I think once he's got his uh, his situation back to back to back to normal, we'll get him back on because we had we did uh, this first flexion, which was Conan the Barbarian, that was back in the summer. So, uh, I like that movie a lot, I thought it was pretty fun. So, uh, we'll, we'll get that coming up. Yeah, great movie. Um, 
Yeah, and maybe we'll do some theme theme months again. I always like doing every once in a while. Like I, I feel like the spring has been our kind of like historically in the last few years has been like our theme kind of month period where we we did our like Shakespeare month in April. Yeah, and we've done stuff. We like did that. world it's movies kind of, too because we would be good to do some you know Jewish films or Palestinian films or something. Yeah, like that. well, I, that real was films. that was a suggestion I had because and I was thinking more because I had I, I was watching some of the Uzman Sabene films and I thought like doing like a, a week of. Some Bene as like African film that would be kind of fun. Mm. So yeah, a world a world uh, film month would be kind of fun. Um, and I, maybe we can invite on some like actual scholars that like know the stuff. And you know we can we could be uh you know we're a double threat. We're like a fun two guys shooting the shit pod, but we're also <laughs> uh you know you're a scholar, you're an expert, you're such a matter expert. So we can have like the literal professors on to dump their theoret theoretical knowledge. Yeah, on we'll us. get some guests on that. It'll be fun. Yeah, so that that'll be coming up. Um, so that's about it, I guess. Uh, things I want to plug. I, I do want to mention uh, we got to kind of nail down the schedule, but Curtis is going to be coming on Domestic Pints Only, my beer podcast. So stay tuned for that. It might be dropping sometime this week. Uh, we'll see. Whenever mm -hmm. I edit the episode too, so <laughs> um, that'll that'll be coming soon. Otherwise, I, I don't really have much to add other than this is literally today is. I didn't even mention it. Today's the last podcast of the year. Yeah. The last possible podcast of the year. We're literally the end of 2023. So <laughs> um, this episode will be coming out in the new year. So uh quick thank you to everyone listening over the year. It's been great. Uh, love your support. If you have movies that you're fond of, that you like, that or if you'd like to come on, you can just reach out to us personally. You know us. Or you can email us, seatstrickpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we're excited for the new year. Another Another year of movies. I love it. Um, it's funny because I saw people make their uh, little, you know, New Year's Eve resolution lists. And mine last year, I, I, I did it as a joke, but I'm like, I want to watch more movies and watch more TV. And I did. So I achieved my <laughs> resolution. Some people make like really important self-improvement goals. Like I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to, you know, take up a new <laughs> hobby. Mine is watch more things, consume more content. That's my goal. And yeah. I, I and I succeeded again. So. Me too. Like I just, I think it's just another day, right? So I just try to make every day count, and I just want to watch yeah. more movies and read more books and all the things. So we'll probably yeah. get there. <laughs> I had yeah, a good Goodreads list limit of twenty books, and I got to sixty-five books this year. So that's pretty. Oh good. wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to get back into reading more. I, I do have. Uh, I was reading these books. They're called Rockin' on the Rito. It's a a local Ottawa author. I think they were released by the Ottawa Press Publishing, uh, the local outfit, and they're yeah. kind of like books chronicling the history of rock and roll in like Ottawa Valley from like 1915. Oh, cool. And there was a second book about the seventies and eighties and really fun. Like kind of learning about the old like places that bands would play at, like a lot of the high schools, the old high schools, you know, it's like, it's like the classic 1950s phenomena where like they would have the big dance for all ages and like some band would show up. That doesn't really happen anymore, <laughs> but like, it's kind of interesting to think at like Woodruff high school or whatever this shit was happening. So mm. um, I really enjoyed uh, the first book and I've been reading the second book a bit. It's kind of fun learning a little bit about um, a period of music that like, you know, some of our like older family and stuff might've like listened to this, these bands and gone to these shows. A lot of these bands were very little known outside of Ottawa. An exception is something like the, uh, the five finger electric band, which released the song signs, which became a huge international hit. Yeah. Um, and that's probably the most famous Ottawa song of all time, unless you want to include like Alanis Morissette, maybe. Uh, but otherwise, like that's a lot of the bands just kind of faded away. And so the book, the move, the book kind of interviews some of the people involved, the radio hosts. And it was really cool. And some of the songs are not all of them are available on Spotify, but some of them you can find on YouTube. So it was kind of cool to I would love to keep an eye out for any records that, you know, happen to show up in the thrift bins or stuff like that, because these were big hits. 
before their time and they're no one knows about them anymore so i they're yeah kind of kind of buried treasures yeah so uh gonna try to read some more so i guess it's about it i guess anything you want to plug or mention uh before uh, we i think that's everything for me i hope wish everyone a good year thanks again for listening and uh we appreciate your time and looking forward to more discussions with you next year <laughs> hell yeah goodbye everybody take care